Uh, for the fa- past few weeks, we've been talking about death and the afterlife, and, and I have to say I'm kind of excited to get here to week number three. Uh, last week, maybe for you, but this definitely for me, and I'm just speaking from my own personal side of it, was a little heavy, uh, talking about hell and just kind of walking out of the door last week. I was really looking ahead to this week uh, with a chance to be able to talk with you uh, about heaven. Heaven's uh, much more exciting to talk about, a little bit more enjoyable to talk about, but, but we've been talking about death. And, and we've been talking about the afterlife, and, and I was just reminded again of the reality of that this morning. I, I, I'm an ESPN.com fan, and, and to get on there this morning and to see that Steve McNair uh, was shot and killed yesterday, uh, former uh, NFL MVP with the Tennessee Titans. And, and just reminded once again that we, we can't overlook death. You know, it's all around us. And, and sure, we've seen it, you know, in the sports world now and in Hollywood and in the music industry over the last couple of weeks, but, but it, it's been a part of your own home, too. And, you know, we can't escape the reality that every one of us faces death. You, you can't look, overlook it. And, and there's really not a subject that, that couldn't be more relevant for us to talk about than to talk about. And it'd be easy to overlook it. It, it would be so much simpler to, inv- to avoid, you know, what can be, you know, somewhat of a controversial subject when you're talking about hell and heaven and death. But, but I think it'd be a tragedy for us to, to just avoid it because it's hard to talk about. And so every one of us, you know, is confronted with this reality of death. We all die. And unless Jesus comes back soon, we're all going to die. You know, we don't like to think about it, but you really, you can't get around it. And I was looking at some stats this past week. You know, three people die every second in the world today. Three people every second. 180 people die every, every minute in the world 11,000 people die every hour. And if the Bible is right about what happens to us right after death, it means that more than 250,000 people a day either go to heaven or they go to hell. You know, we talked about death and judgment a couple of weeks ago, and last week we talked about hell. And if you didn't get a chance to hear either one of those talks, I want to encourage you to pick up a CD on the way out today from the Info Hub or, or go to our website and subscribe to our podcast and, and check out these talks. But this morning, we're going to talk about heaven. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk about heaven, and honestly, I believe that most people don't have any idea what heaven will be like, and, and chances are that if we were to do a survey of the crowd this morning, we'd find a number of different opinions on what heaven will be, really be like, and because a lot of what you and I would describe about our pictures of heaven would come right out of a movie or they'd come right out of a TV show. You know, can we just agree on that? I mean, is that true or not? In fact, I thought it'd be fun just to kind of do a quick little survey, and, and this may date some of you, but just to kind of get your impressions or kind of see what it is that you think when you think about heaven, but let's just, let's just say with God himself. You know, I mean, who do you think of? You know, what pictures come to your mind when you think of God? You know, for some of you, and I just want you to be honest in this, and you can just kind of raise your hand up, if even the possibility or the glimpse of the late George Burns comes to your mind when you think of God, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, a couple people, all right, a few people around the room, hands coming up. Okay, or let, let's go a different way with it, all right? How many of you, when you think of God, every once in a while, the glimpse just comes in there because you've seen Bruce Almighty, but, but Morgan Freeman comes to your mind when you think of God. All right, a few more hands. I mean, we, we just do this, you know? And the truth is that most of us don't understand God and, and we don't have any idea of what heaven will be like. Or, or maybe it's like this. How many of you, when you think of heaven and what it will be like to be in heaven one day, you just can't get the idea out of your mind that it's just one long eternal worship service? All right? 
How many of you? I mean, is it true? All right. You know, I mean, you, when you think of heaven, you just can't help but see yourself in a choir robe. You know, and you've got this heavenly choir robe now, and, and you've got a halo over your head, and you've got wings, you know, for the first time in your life, and you're hanging out on these puffy clouds, and we're all singing, we're all a part of this great big choir, and we're all chanting and everything, and it's cool maybe for even like the first 100 years, but after 100 years, it's starting to get a little old. You know, I mean, it's the same songs over and over. I mean, you think our worship services are long and this one kind of gets old. And so you visualize that. You know, I've visualized that in my mind. And if you think that way, then heaven's maybe not all that exciting. You know, I mean, maybe there are, are other things you'd like to think about doing with your time. But the problem is that we just really don't understand heaven. And as we've discovered last week, we really don't understand hell either. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes, However it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, none of us can accurately picture or fully describe what heaven will be like. And with that in mind, let me say from the beginning of my message this morning that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter what scripture I point you to, we will fall short in describing what heaven is like. And why is that? Because no eye has seen. You know, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared. I mean, we can try and we can look to the Bible and we can look to Scripture and we can point to these and we can get a start, but we will fall short. We'll fall short in understanding what heaven is like. Well, let's just start by considering this. I mean, just with this question, have you ever had a moment that you did not want it to go away? You know, you just wanted to preserve that picture or that moment in your mind, you know, forever. You know, one of those breathtaking moments that you, you kind of hope to preserve forever. You know, I, I love to snow ski, all right? And I'm not great at it or anything, but I love to snow ski. I love to get out in the mountains. I love the snow. I love the speed. I love the exercise. I love the adventure of it. But there's really nothing like standing at 10,000 feet. And doing a 360 degree view all around you and just seeing nothing but snow-capped Rockies everywhere. I'm not talking about southern Indiana skiing, okay? I'm talking about real skiing, the Rockies. And, and when you're standing at the top of a mountain like that and you look out, you just kind of can't help but think to yourself, it doesn't really get any better than this. Or maybe it's your favorite restaurant and your favorite meal. For me, it's Mexican. I love Mexican food, and not the chain stuff. I'm talking about strip mall Mexican food, you know, the, the stuff that be, the, the, what begins with the letters E-L, you know, and you sit down at the table, and they bring out the queso, and they set it on the table, and you dip that chip into the queso, and you take a nice big bite, and in that moment, it doesn't really get any better than this. Now, maybe you're saying, you know, I, I'd go somewhere else, I guess, with my, but it's my story, it's my illustration, so I can tell you what I really enjoy. Or... You know, it was like the other night, and my wife and I, we went out for a bike ride with our little girl, and she's one year old, and, and Kate was on the back uh, of my bike. I have one of those seats, and she had her helmet on, and it kind of kept falling down over her eyes, but we, we did this like 10-mile ride and, on these trails, and, and Kate, every once in a while, would reach out, and she'd get her arms as far around my waist as she could, and she'd lay her head up on my back, and she'd just start patting me, saying, dad, 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 you know, and it's in a moment like that. You know, where I can't help but think to myself, it doesn't really get any better than this. And this is perfect. But the truth is that it does get better. It does get better. And heaven is infinitely 
and indescribably better than any scene or queso or any relationship than you and I could ever imagine. But if that's the case, why is it that we don't really get all that excited about heaven? I mean, it's easy for us, you know, to get excited about the things that are happening around us and when life's going good and and maybe even to get excited about Jesus and and our salvation and how that changes our life. But heaven just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, I'll raise my hand and say, I, I forget about it all the time. You know, I can get so focused on this earth and the things that are happening around me that I forget to look ahead to heaven and really see that that's our home. You know, as the Bible says, our citizenship is in heaven. We are only here for a, a, a period of time. And, and here's what I think. Here's what I think it comes down to. I think, and we talked about this last week, that heaven, like hell, is really under a great attack right now. And the truth of heaven, the, the theology of heaven. Isaiah chapter 14 talks about Lucifer and talks about Satan. And you don't have to go there in your Bible now, but kind of take note of that location, Isaiah 14, and you can check it out later. But here it describes Satan as this prince of darkness, the father of lies, that he was an angel in heaven and an important player in heaven. But Isaiah 14 tells us that he wanted to be like God. And in his pride and in his arrogance, he was cast out of heaven forever. And that at that time, a third of the angels followed him and became his demons. And I believe that since that day, Satan, the father of lies, has been lying to us. He lies to us about eternity. He lies about the existence of hell. And he works hard to try and convince you and me that hell doesn't exist. That we don't need to worry about it or anything. Because if he can do that, he can get us to, to believe that hell doesn't exist. That he can keep us worrying about hell. And most importantly, he can keep you and I, he can keep followers of Jesus from getting too motivated to share their faith with other people. I would also argue that Satan has launched this attack against the reality of heaven too. And I think there are at least two lies that he's trying to convince people of. The first one is that heaven can wait. I think he tries to convince you and me every day that heaven can wait. You know, the heaven might be a good place to go, but don't get in any hurry. You know, because earth is where it's happening. And some of these are very, you know, are good things and things that we don't need to be you know, we don't need to feel guilty about, but, you know, he convinces you that, hey, I want to see my kids graduate. And I want to believe they've got it in them, you know, that they can get through high school, that they can graduate from college. You know, I want to see them get married, you know, and have kids. I want grandchildren. Or maybe for you, you know, it's I, I want to get married, you know, I want to own my own business first. I want to see the Cubs win the World Series, you know, I mean, I just, I just want these things to be accomplished, and then I can start thinking about the afterlife. And we get wrapped up into these things. We get absorbed into these things. And and we want them more than we want Jesus. But one guy, he wrote in Psalm chapter 84, verse 10. He said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I mean, this guy right here knew what it was like to long for heaven. Better is one day, God. Better is one moment. Better is one minute with God than any moment anywhere else. And if you've ever had one of those moments that you hope to preserve forever, that it would never go away, it will go away. Because the moments pass. And all that you and I know on the earth today is just simply temporary pleasures. But heaven is different. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 
writes, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I mean, what does God promise for us in heaven? That he will fill us with a joy when we see him, that he will give us this joy that we've never experienced before. I mean, it'll top the moment that you watched your bride walk down the aisle on your wedding day. It will top that moment in the delivery room where you heard your newborn son cry for the very first time. I mean, it'll top the day when the Colts won the Super Bowl, you know, and you were able to celebrate that. The moment, that moment, that face-to-face between you and God, that face-to-face meeting will be like no moment you've ever had before because all we know is temporary pleasures. They all come, they all go, they can all easily be taken away. But in heaven, we will know nothing but eternal pleasures. But Satan, his job, his attack is to convince you that that can wait. You just keep focused on the things happening around you because all of that can wait. But there's another lie that Satan likes to convince us of, and that's that most people are going to heaven. And the lie is that most, if not everyone, is going to heaven. You know, don't worry. You know, we'll all wind up there. Basically, everything that the Bible says about you making a choice or says about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of that and the reality of hell, it's really all a lie. It's just all made up or it's just all put there to scare you. You know, it's just to scare you. But in the end, we're all going to heaven, so just relax. I mean, this view today is a view known as universalism. It's popular outside of the church, and it's a growing belief in some churches and in Christians today, and it's a horrible lie. It's an absolute false teaching, and Satan is at the very root of it, trying to convince people that this is the case. What's God's heart on it? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We looked at this verse at the end of the message last week. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some of you understand slowness. He is patient with you. I don't miss this part. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that is God, and that is His desire. He does not force His love upon anyone. That's not the God that He is. He lets you make the decision for yourself whether you will choose to trust Him or not, but He has provided the way and He has provided that way through Jesus. But it's a choice. And it's a choice that you have to make. And the idea that heaven is somehow our default destination is wrong. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus was teaching, and he was teaching specifically about the difference between heaven and hell. And his words are tough. I mean, they're, they're, they're tough words to read. He, he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And he's talking about the reality of hell, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And Jesus is speaking about hell and he's speaking about heaven. And, and heaven is not automatic for us. Hell is. Hell is our default destination. You and I were destined to hell. And because of sin, it is our default destination. But Jesus changed it. Because Jesus is the way. He is the true. And he is the life. And if we are willing to put our faith in him, if we are willing to put our trust in him, Jesus has provided a way out. That is the solution, that is the answer that God has provided for us so that we can have life, so that we can hope for heaven. But heaven isn't yours until you are willing to make your own personal decision to trust Jesus Christ with your life. Have you made that decision? 
It's yes or no. And one of my prayers for today is this, that before you walk out of this room, you will feel confident in knowing that you either said yes or you have said yes to Jesus or you've said no. And if you're in that place in your life right now where you're investigating and maybe you've been coming here for a while and you've been checking things out and you'll admit that there are maybe some things coming to life for you for the very first time and you're open to some change in your life, I at least have to warn you and tell you that until you make that decision, you're still in the know on it. There's no in-between. And every day that you walk out of these doors or every day that you choose to continue denying Christ, you're really saying no, even if you don't like to think that you are. And I, I want to challenge you to keep on going, all right? And I want to challenge you to keep on coming and, and keep asking questions and keep reading your Bible. I mean, we want to be a church like that, that you can feel comfortable to come in here. But we're going to talk about some uncomfortable things once in a while. And I feel like as your pastor, it is my responsibility to let you know what the stakes are, that you're gambling with your life, and don't wait too long. Don't wait too long to, to, to give your life to Christ. Don't be afraid to think that you have to know all of the answers to all of your questions before you take the leap. And there's nothing secret about what we do here. There's nothing happening behind these curtains that you don't know about or a special room that we all go into and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, you just, just talk to some of the people around you. After the service today, we'll have some friends from our response team up front here. They're normal people. They've got real stories of what God's done in their life. Come forward, ask some questions at the very end of the service. We'd love to talk with you about that. But you need to know whether you've made that decision or you still continue to say no. But here's what I want to do next. We've, we've just got a little bit of time left, and so we're going to kind of rush through this last spot. But I want to, I'd like to give you just a glimpse of heaven. I'd like to take a glimpse of heaven with you. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Revelation chapter 21. And Revelation's the very last book in your Bible, appropriately. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, a little background. John is writing here, and these are words given to him by God. Uh, at this time, John was in exile on an island called Patmos. And it was here in Revelation 21 that he was given a glimpse of heaven. God allowed him to have a vision of what heaven was like so that he could record the words inspired by God. And so I want to kind of give you, and there's a lot here that we can't get into, but I want to give you like a 30,000 foot perspective of heaven this morning as we look at these couple of verses. Uh, I want to draw out a few things that we can expect from heaven as seen in these verses. Revelation 21, verse 1, let me read through verse 4. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And so this is bad news if you own a boat when this time comes because you are out of luck and it's just better when your friends own boats. That, that saying is always true. But in this time, what John is alluding to here is the sea represented chaos. It represented turmoil. And John says that it is now passed away. Those are old times. Those are no longer upon us anymore. Verse 2. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. And this is the 20th time this phrase is used in the book of Revelation and the last time. Saying, and here's the big announcement. Now the dwelling of God is with men and women. 
and he will, be, he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There are a few exciting truths that come out of these scripture verses that can kind of give us a glimpse of heaven. The first one real quick is that God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. And what that means is that following the return of Jesus, following the thousand year reign, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Let's look at verse one again. Then I saw, John writes, a new heaven and a new earth for what happened? The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Let's get into that a little bit. What does it mean the first passed away? Well, the same God who offers us new life in Jesus Christ, the same God who gives you a new resurrected body, has promised that he will also bring a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't know if you remember from our study last week or not, but in Luke chapter 16, we talked about hell, and we discovered what eternal punishment was like for the rich man in the parable. And after death, the rich man went to a place that the Bible calls Hades, H-A-D-E-S. And it was this place of torment. Now, it's actually translated in most newer versions of the Bible. It's in my Bible and probably in yours too. It's just translated as the word hell. Now, this is probably not the best translation. The word is better translated as Hades. And as we discovered in several passages last week, Hades and death will eventually, at the very end of all things we know as earth, be thrown into the lake of fire or the eternal fire. So there is a place of torment, Hades, that exists right now. And people who have died and didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior are in this place called Hades. But one day there will be a final place a a final destination, and Hades will be thrown into this lake of fire. And to a certain degree, you could kind of say that hell is more of an all-encompassing word, really, of Hades and this lake of fire, but there are these two places that the Bible speaks of. Now, the other side, and the side that we're looking at today, especially as it applies to heaven, remember, Jesus on the cross, the thief repented, and Jesus' words to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And that paradise that he was speaking of is the heaven that you and I often refer to, the the heaven that we know and we think of. And, And it's a beautiful place that the Bible speaks of where we will dwell in the presence of God, but it, like Hades, is a temporary place too. If I could just turn your attention, if you're looking for a resource or a great book to read, I'd encourage you to read the book Heaven. Simple title. Uh, I, guess, I bet you can guess what it's about, uh, but written by a guy that is much smarter than I am, a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn, and, and he's really helped me as, as I've been preparing for this message in this series. But he talks in here, he describes this, this temporary of heaven of sorts, he calls it the present heaven. And everyone you know that has died up until this point in history who knew and followed Jesus is currently living in this present heaven today. But one day, as the book of Revelation explains, there will be a new heaven and there will be this new earth. And it's almost like a second phase or the final phase in God's plan, but it's a part of heaven too. And this place will be our final destination and it will be in this new heaven and this new earth, which God has yet to reveal that we will live with him forever. Uh, let, me, let me show it to you like this. It's kind of like the difference between a good movie trailer and the movie itself. 
You know, you go to a movie, you get there early because you want to see the previews, and there's like a three-minute preview for the sequel to one of your favorite movies of all times. You know, and so, you know, you see Transformers 15, you know, this time it's for real, you know, coming Christmas 2015. And so you get all excited about it and the Christmas 2015 finally comes and you see the movie and unlike a lot of other sequels, it's as good as it, it's even better than what, than what was promised. And, And that's the difference and sorry for the comparison, but that's the difference between the present heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, which have yet to be seen by anyone but God. And this present heaven is a glimpse of what it will be like, but there's something greater to come for you and for me and for all those that have passed away. Other evidence of this, Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. And so this new heaven, this new earth, that in the end of all things, these will be inherited by followers of Jesus. And and I believe that most of what we enjoy now and most of what we know now on this earth will will be a part of heaven, will be a part of our heavenly experiences, this new earth speaks of. But the only difference is a big one. No more sin. There will be no more pain. You know, and chances are that if you enjoy playing golf, I think there's a good shot you'll get to play some golf on this new earth one day. But the only difference is rather than play at the city courses, you'll get to play at the nicest courses. And you know what? You'll be able to afford the greens fees too. You know, and maybe even I'll play during that time. Or if you love to cook, I think there's a good chance that you'll get to do some cooking in heaven. You know, the best kitchens, the best food, and it'll never burn. You know, or if you love to garden, you know, chances are that you'll get to garden in a place. Imagine gardening in a place like Eden. You know, we've got to use our brains here. We've got to use our imaginations here. But the key word that, that John is speaking of is the word new. New heavens, new earth. It's the word restored. It's getting things back to the way that they were intended to be. You know, I used to think that the earth would blow up one day. That one day we would just kind of all be cruising away, you know, from the earth with Jesus to heaven. And like the Death Star, the earth would just explode. You know, we'd all turn around and look and we'd applaud and we keep going on. But there's nothing biblical about the earth being destroyed. You know, and I believe that this present earth will be a part of that new earth, that restored earth that John was talking about in Revelation 21. You know, this earth will be a part of our heavenly experience along with the new heavens, And remember from the book of Genesis, God created the earth, and what did he say? He said it was good, meaning it is perfect, it is complete, but it was perfect until sin entered the world. And since that day, the world has been under a curse. And so if you want to try and imagine what heaven will be like sometime, you know, get out on your own one day where it can be quiet and just spend some time reflecting and think of a world and think of your your, your most favorite things of this world and take sin completely out of the equation. Remove death. Remove pain, and I think that's a pretty good glimpse of heaven. What else? Well, that kind of leads to the second thing we see in heaven that's promised here in Revelation, and that is that God will do away with death and mourning and pain. You know, it's hard to lose someone you love, you know, especially when it's premature or unexpected. I can remember losing a good friend in high school. His name was Billy Davis, and he was driving home from work one day on this country road, and you know how you kind of get into that phase once in a while where you just, you got somewhere, but you don't remember driving it, 
And that's all they can kind of think happened to him. And he crossed the same old railroad crossing that he crossed every single day of his life. And he got hit by a train. And he lived for a few days and then he died. And, and it's just so unfortunate that with so many years ahead of him, he lost his, his life. And, and some of you have, have suffered loss like that. And you know what it's like to hurt and you know it really well. And Revelation 21, 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I mean, can you imagine what such a place would be like? I mean, think what, of what bothers you the most. I mean, what makes you cry? What makes you hurt? I mean, maybe for you it's chronic pain. It's chronic physical pain. It's chronic back pain. Or it's chronic headaches, or it's worry, or it's stress. But in heaven, God says, no more. It's long gone. And many of you know and understand the pain of losing a parent or a spouse or a child. And there's nothing like it. And I've never been in that position, and so I can't understand what that pain is like. But some of you know it really well. And because of it, you are worried about losing someone else close to you. But in heaven, God says, never again. No more death, ever. You know, and if you've been abused, you will be healed and it won't ever happen again. That there'll be no more sin in relationships. And think about the world today. Think about all of the suffering and all of the pain and all of the emptiness and all of the questions of life that have gone unanswered. I mean, even with the death of somebody like Michael Jackson, you see all of these people all over TV who are an emotional mess. And why? Well, for many of it's because they have no concept or no foundation when it comes to Jesus or the afterlife. And all they know is and all they believe is that one day you die and you're a bird or you become dirt or something. That there are no answers. That there is no hope. But imagine, if you would, for a second, a world where all of the confusion... All of the uncertainty, all of the pain of death is removed, all of the hurt is gone, and, and there's no more poverty, and everyone has everything that they need, and there's no more disease in children, and there's no more war, and death is finally defeated, and any tear you shed, for whatever reason, and maybe it's a reunion between you and someone you love so deeply that you finally see in heaven, that you make eyes with for the very first time. And, and maybe in that moment, your first thought will be to shed tears. And, and maybe in that moment, all of that pain will almost threaten to consume you. But here's what God's going to do. Here's what the Bible tells us, that he's, he's going to reach out and he will wipe away the tears from your eyes. And he will say no more. You will never cry again. There's a third thing that these verses promise us as we take a glimpse of heaven, and that is that God will dwell with us. That God will dwell with us, that the creator of the universe, God himself will live with us. And this really is the most shocking statement for anyone who even tries to get a grip on the holiness of God. You know, especially for Jewish people who would read this and know the history of their relationship with God. I mean, think about the various accounts of men and women in the Bible who tried to get a glimpse of God. I mean, no one can look at God and live, but Moses made the request. You know, before he died, he remade the request. He said, you know, God, I, I just, I want to be able to see you. I want to see you in your fullness. He just wanted a peek, you know, and so God gave in. He said, I'll tell you what, Moses, here's what I'm going to do for you. You go bury your face in the mountain, and then here's what I'll do for you. I will take my own hand to shelter you, 
and then I'm going to pass by. And then when I'm just about all the way by, I will remove my hand from you and I will allow you to get a glimpse of the very tail end of my glory. Because any more than that, then you would die. In the Old Testament, the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then eventually the temple one time a year. And tradition tells us that when he entered, they would tie a rope around his body. They would do this because only one person was allowed in there one time a year. And so they would tie a rope around his body so that if anything happened when he was in this holiest of holies, if he were to have a heart attack or die or whatever it would be, they would be able to pull him out with the rope because no one dared walk into the presence of God. But in heaven, everything changes. The Bible tells us that you and I will dwell with him. Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's the great reunion. You know, I, I, I love to travel, and I can remember some times coming back from a week-long trip where I've been away from my family and walking down that airport terminal hallway and catching a glimpse of my family for the first time and then getting to them and, and just enjoying that excitement, you know, from coming back. You know, and you just can't wait to get with them. You know, maybe for you, you're a grandparent and it's when you're able to get your grandkids together and you just, you get that quality time with them and it just feels complete. Like this is what it's about, this is right. But can you imagine looking at God for the first time? Can you imagine seeing Jesus for the first time? I, I think in that moment we will be so overwhelmed by His love. It'll be in that moment that we'll understand His grace for the first time in our life. And we'll know why and, and how He made us and how proud He is of us. And He will call us His own and we will be changed forever. And we will live with God forever. And then Revelation 22, 3 says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants, that's you and me, will serve Him. Can you get excited about this? I know it's tough to do it. Can you get excited? You know, can, you, can this picture of what has been promised to us you know, through new life in Jesus. Is it possible that even a picture like this can motivate you right now in your life, no matter what situation you find yourself in? In 1952, there was a young girl by the name of Florence Chadwick who stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean just off of the coast of Catalina Island determined to swim from Catalina Island to the main shore of California. She had already, get this, been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. And on that day when she got into the water, the weather was foggy and it was chilly, and she could hardly see the boats that were accompanying her for her swim. But still she swam for 15 hours, 15 hours in the water, in the ocean, and she could hardly see the boats that were going along with her, but she swam for these 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, in a boat alongside, told her that she was close. Just keep going. You're almost there. You're going to make it. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she just stopped swimming. And they had to get into the water and get her out because she was going to drown. 
It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half a mile away. And at a news conference the next day, she said, and I quote, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. You know, the truth is that some of you are swimming in the fog this morning. And Satan is responsible for the fog of your life. He's got a great hold on you right now and you're consumed by this fog and and you just keep taking your eyes off of the shore. And, And maybe you're to that breaking point where you're thinking about giving up. But I want to pray for you this morning, and my prayer is going to be, let's, let's make our prayer that, that God would do this great work in us, that, that He would make us different, and let's just pray that He would remove the fog from our life. And so, you know, just acknowledging that probably many of you in this room today are followers of Jesus. You know, maybe you're recognizing this morning that you've really been living for the things of this world. And you're just completely saturated by your circumstances. Maybe it's your job or, or money situation or difficulty in your marriage right now. And, and, and you're just consumed in, in these things. And, and, and I'm like this at times where, where I'm so focused on the things that are happening around me. And I can have a good day once in a while and then I fall off track. And, and one day you're on track and you're following and trusting God. And then the next day you're a wreck. And you need to pray this morning that God would remove that fog And allow you to be consistent in your faith. And allow you to be consistent in your faith in your life with Him. Is there anyone that would be willing to admit they need this prayer today? You can raise your hand right now. Great, thank you for those. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Don't be ashamed of this. Maybe you've got friends and family members. And as we've gone through this series over the last few weeks, your heart is breaking over the reality that they don't know Jesus Christ. And if that's happening for the first time, or if that's happening for the first time in a long time, amen, praise God for that. Because He's got a hold of your heart right now. And if they don't know Jesus and your concern is growing for them, maybe you're finding yourself in a position right now to at least just pour out your heart to God or to say, hey, I'm ready. I'm going to pray for them. I don't know what's going to come next. I don't know how their life is going to be changed. But I am completely sold out. To even if I get to the end of my life and the only thing that I do is help that person to come to know Jesus, it will be the greatest life that I could ever have lived. If you've come to a place in the last few weeks where your heart has just grown concerned for people around you who don't know Christ, would you be willing to put your hand up in the air right now? Don't do it for me, just do it for God. Do it for yourself. Thanks for those hands. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you, these two groups of people right now. And first, God, we pray for those who are living inconsistently in their faith and their life right now, and they've acknowledged this. And they admit that they're swimming in circles right now, and the pain and challenges of life are really kind of causing them to want to give in. God, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage them today? Would you give them the strength that can only come from you? And we pray for those this morning who have acknowledged friends and family in their life who don't know you. God, we know you know them. We know that you love them and that you created them and that you are patiently waiting for them to come to know you. I believe, God, that you want to use my friends and this church to help people find their way back to God. Do a great work, God. Give us a great passion for these lost people. Open doors that only you can, that only you can open. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the last thing that I want to do, and just another prayer that I want to pray, is that some of you here, 
Maybe you're recognizing and maybe over these last few weeks that you're in a place in your life today and it's nothing but fog. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but maybe you know that you're walking down some broad roads and you've got no hope and you've never made a decision in your life to trust Jesus. And you can walk out of here today and you can take a gamble with that. And you can give it some thought again and maybe even give it some thought again next week. Or you can make a decision this morning that will radically alter your life forever. You can change your life forever this morning. I mean, every one of us is born into this life of sin and it's the fog, but Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the remedy to that problem. And there are no perfect people in this room. We've got nothing to hide and we aren't simply the lucky ones. We're just a room. You're in a room today surrounded by people who have given their lives to Jesus. And we're just learning to be more like him every day. And we're learning to trust him and we fail and we give it at times, but we're living by the grace of God today. But God loves you. And God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And I want you to know that you can invite him to be the Lord of your life today. And you can do that in your seat right now. And I'm going to pray that in just a second. And then after the service today, some of the members from our response team will be up front here. They're normal. They've got real stories, just like you and me. And they'd love to just talk with you for a few minutes if you'd like to do that. They'll be here at the end and they'll stay as long as you need them to. But don't leave today without making a decision if you need to make that decision. Now's the time to do that. Let me pray for you right now. God in heaven, thank you for the men and women in this room right now who are ready to make a decision to trust you. God, would you remind them that they don't have to have all of the answers to their questions. And we pray for your protection over their life in this place right now as you work in their hearts and as they seek to trust you. Would you give them the courage to take this leap of faith today? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.